At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Amen. Uh, and Micah, thanks for killing it. You nailed it. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the guys that put all this together every Sunday. The PA team, there's a lot of sweat that goes in Sunday services. So we appreciate them so much. The prayer team, the children's ministers that are pouring in our children's lives, God bless you so much. Amen. Welcome to our Sunday service again. My name is Victor, and uh, I'm one of the ministers here. I love Detroit. I love Woodside, and I'm excited and happy to be in the house of God. How many are happy to be in the house of God today? Thank you. Uh, we will be continuing with our series in the book of Romans. If you've been here with us, I really want to get these pages and throw them away. Uh, if you've been with us, uh, you probably know that we are going through the book of Romans. If you, this is your first time, I would say you are blessed because this is a very exciting season. This is a very uh, in-depth series that we have gone through. I have been blessed. My life is turning around for the glory of God. And I pray that the book of Romans as well will become your letter. The way uh, Paul wrote it to the church in Rome, I pray that this letter will be your letter. Letter, right? Letter. <laughs> It'll be your letter. Uh, so I want to encourage you, read Romans. Don't let us read it for you. Read it. Let it master you. Master it as it masters you. Dig into it. Ask questions. There's a lot of questions in the book of Romans. Ask one of us. And then let people help you. Let us navigate it together. Some theologians have called Romans the constitution of the church. How would you call it? Have you read it? How does it define you? How does it define the church? Where we are today as a body of Christ. So I want to encourage you. Dive into the book of Romans and your life will not be the same again. Praise the Lord. So today we'll be talking about uh, a fruitful marriage, fruitfulness in marriage. And uh, it's an interesting uh, passage. It's a very a deep passage. Like I said, I took 16 weeks of seminary just looking at Romans 7. 16 weeks, and I came out with more questions. So I pray, I pray that the Lord will uh, give me humility, will give me uh, grace to uh, dig into these uh, six verses as we go into his word. Uh, Father, I thank you for today. I pray that you will be a part of this body, uh, that you speak to your children, 
but also you speak to me. May these words become life. May these words become life to our lives, to our hearts, to our communities. May we realize that you are all we need. Father, I pray that even as we read through the book of Romans and see how you have reconciled us to our God and see how we have been detached from the law, how we've been cut off from the law because of your sacrifice, I pray that we will continue to grow and lean into you because you are all we need. You are all we need. And Lord, as we dive into your word, I pray that you will speak. Speak to your children. I pray that you speak to, uh, to the lost, to the confused. Because when you speak, my God, uh, miracles happen. When you speak, uh, prodigals come home. When you speak, the lost are found. When you speak, oh God, impossibilities melt away. When you speak, oh God, we listen. So I pray that you speak today uh, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Uh, so I'll read the text and then we can take it up from there. Romans chapter 7. If you're there, you might say I am there. Grab your Bible, uh, your iPad, your phone, whatever you have. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, some virgins add, and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Doesn't end there. In order... That we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, I love this, in our sinful passions, aroused by the law, uh, were at work in our members to bear. Uh, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, we are released from the law. That's very positive. Having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Law, death, marriage. There's a lot going on here. Praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. So when you look at... Uh, when you look at that, when you look at that verse, uh, that passage where Paul talks about fruitfulness, in order that we may bear fruit for God, I paused there and I said, "Why fruit?" And it reminded me of Romans chapter six, verse twenty to twenty-two. Romans six, verse twenty, he says, "I think we were there last week. For when you were slaves of sin, 
you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruits were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit, fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Yeah, yeah fruit and fruit and fruit. And I said, why fruit? Why is Paul talking about fruit? You know, in the Christian circles, we talk about this concept, fruit. You read Christian books, spiritual formation, and those books, they talk about fruit. But do we really understand how fruit works? Do we? Because some of us didn't grow up in an agrarian society. Agriculture is foreign to us. We, uh, I remember meeting some kids and said, uh, where do we grow carrots where do we grow carrots and one kid told me in the refrigerator uh, <laughs> i was teaching a gardening class at my kid's school and i said carrots don't grow in the refrigerator they grow in the garden and i remember having a garden in alabama uh, we had a very nice garden in fact sejo my wife made a comment and she said Victor, if our future ministry is going to be a replica of this garden, we are so fruitful. <laughs> it was so great. And I remember pulling carrots from the garden because Alabama has a long season. And one of the, my, my neighbors who's around 60 years, she looked at me and says, Victor, what are you pulling out of the garden? I said, I'm pulling carrots. She goes, oh my goodness, I have never seen a carrot plant. I want to say she came running. And she saw how carrots grow, and I pulled out a bundle and took it to her with, you know, leaves and stems, everything on. And she's like, I just want, can I eat it? I'm like, yeah, you can just wipe it and eat it fresh, raw from the garden. It's like, they're so sweet. So some of us were raised in a community that doesn't understand how fruit works. So how does fruit work? I want to break it in three, in three categories. Number one, fruit, I mean, th- fruit has three characteristics. One A fruit reflects its tree. I want you to write that down. A fruit reflects its tree, the mother, where it comes from. Peaches come from peach trees, not from apple trees. Apples from apple trees, and so on. Number two, characteristic of a fruit. A fruit is visible you can see it you can touch it you can eat it you can see it it's not hidden i remember a passage in the bible where jesus is sees a fig tree and he goes that he it had leaves and he wanted a fruit on it but it was only leaves some some trees will have many leaves but no fruit But when fruit is on a tree, I'm I'm telling you, you can see it. It's not in the stem. It's not embedded in a leaf. It is visible. It's It's a fruit. Number three about a fruit. When a fruit has matured and is ready to be harvested, when it is picked from the tree, what does it do? It nourishes life. Mm. It brings life. It impacts others. It brings life. 
in your life. So when Paul talks about this area where he says, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. Now you can connect it a little bit. So I'm trying to connect you to fruitfulness. In other words, if we are going to understand what Paul is saying here in, in chapter 7, we need to understand how fruit works. Uh, Paul goes on and uh, explains, but before he goes on, uh, I want you to know that when you read chapter 6 and 7, you're going to see so many resemblances. That's why I said, please read Romans. You see so many resemblances. So, by the way, Paul, so when Paul builds his argument, it's very tight and uh, it's very fascinating. And he will lead us to this, uh, to this point where he says here that belonging to Christ leads us to bear fruit in Christ. When we belong to Christ, we will bear fruit in Christ. How does it look for us to bear fruit in Christ? How does belonging to Christ lead to bearing fruit for Christ? Number one, it releases us from the law. Belonging to Christ releases us from the law. Now that we have chosen a new master, now that we are in union with Christ, we are released from the law. So before I go there, again, uh, I'm excited. So Paul... In Romans 7, when you read it, you realize that he is continuing an argument he started out in chapter 6, verse 14, where he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under the grace. Now, get me well. In Romans 6, 14, he says, For sin shall not have dominion, rulership, control over you. Because you're not under the law. You're not under that ruthless taskmaster called the law who's expecting you to perform continuously. You can't even catch up your performance. When you're under the law, you, are, you, you just keep going and going. And when is enough? Because the law is a standard of God. It is up here and humans are here fallen. So you try to Keep doing it and keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more you fail. And because you fail, you tell yourself, oh, I am a failure. I can't catch up. I can't meet the God, God's standard. That's why God says, because you can't keep up, I'll show you how you can keep up. I'll send my son, Jesus, and he'll die on a cross, and he will fulfill all this obligation. So now you can catch up with me here. Because the law, through the law, we could not catch up with God. So Paul says, you are not under the law in 614, but under the grace. You are not under the law, but under the grace. The unmerited, undeserved favor from God. We don't have to perform for grace. No. That is Jesus right there 
on the cross. So Paul says, for you are not under the law, but under the grace. And so in 7, if you look at 7, he is building from that argument that he started in 6, 14 and 15. And what happens is that when I was reading this chapter, actually, I read, I was, I was looking, I'm like, law, 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 law. When you read chapter 7, you realize that the whole chapter is law, law. In fact, the word law appears 23 times in chapter 7. 23 times. You know how many verses in chapter 7? 25 verses. 25 verses. So what does that tell you? This is Paul's theme. He wants you to get it. That you are not under the law. So he says here, Oh, do you not know, brothers? He's writing to a church at Rome, which probably had Gentiles and Jews in the mix. And he's writing to them and saying, Oh, do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to those who know the law. I'm not speaking to people who are not ignorant about the law. You know the code. You know how it has been in our lineage. You know how it has been added. Every time we try to accomplish something, there is another law that's added to the law. So the law keeps multiplying and multiplying. When will we ever get there? So he says, now you know I am writing to people who understand the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now he's speaking their language. You know that the law is binding to a person only as long as they, they live. So he's saying, he's saying, the law rules over a person only as long as he or she lives. And when Paul wants to explain this, what does he do? He uses an analogy of marriage. He uses an analogy. And he goes on and says, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband, while he is, while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. When a spouse dies, the law of marriage no longer applies. The law is Valid only when the people concerned are alive. Because we have died to Christ, the law can no longer condemn us. We died with Christ. Okay? We died with Christ. The law was our old husband. <laughs> I know this sounds weird to some guys who are like, well, I don't, how does it feel really for a guy to be married? Just marry to Jesus. Just think about it in a universal terms, okay? Don't, don't, don't marry yourself to Jesus. No, it doesn't work like that. Think about it in universal terms as a church. Um, so the law was our husband, but through our union with Christ, all the obligations that this legal code imposed on us were fulfilled. Our death with him, therefore, uh, ends our relationship to that old set of laws. What the law could not do, 
I want to encourage you that God did it through the death of his son. I have a little warning for us that Paul is not using this analogy here uh, as a comprehensive way to teach about divorce and remarriage. No, again, he's not using it. He's just using it as an analogy. The law has jurisdiction over the living, not the dead. And that's what Paul is trying to say. If a person dies, he's no longer under the law. So how does this really work out in our lives? Now that you know that you're no longer under the law, but you're under the grace of Christ. You're being detached from the law, but you're not under the, the curse of what, How does that really work out? If we are to embrace a new life in Christ, we must first recognize that we have been cut off from our old taskmaster. We've been cut off. So how does that, what does that mean? That means that because now we are in Christ and we are not under the ruthless and satisfied master called law, we get, remember the, remember the, um, the explanation of fruits that I talked about? Now, we get to reflect the character of our new master. We get to reflect. A fruit reflects the nature of its tree. We get to reflect the character, the love of our new master, Jesus Christ. Number two, we get to do what? Remember the characteristics of the fruit. What are they? We get to become visible for and with him. We are spiritually useful um, and productive for the good of others and the glory of God. We are no longer under the law. I have a question. So why do we hold on to our old state when God is calling us to something newer and fuller? Because that's what we do. But that's what we're going to see in the next uh, verse. Number two, we learn that belonging to Christ weds us to him. We're going to see that in verse 4b. Where he says, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So that you may belong to another. Dying to the law gives us a new purpose. It weds us to Christ. And that changes everything. Now that we are not married to the old law, now that we've been married to Christ, so we got to reflect his character. We got, to, uh, we got to do what? We got to be visible and we got to bring nourishment in the body of Christ. So what happens when we get married to Christ? Don't think about just, just getting married to Christ. Think about getting married anyway. What happens when you get Micah, you just got hurt. What happened when you got married? Everything changed. Good. What changes? I know my brother Christopher is engaged. Sorry, I put you on a spot. But there are things that change when you marry. When you get married. What? Like what? Physical things that happen. You, you, you change of address. Huh? Change of name. There are things that change. You know, habits change. I remember when I, I, I met with Sejo. 
Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta say this. I need a sip of water to say this. <laughs> I offered to make my first supper for my wife. We were dating in Uganda, and I said, I'll make dinner for you. She said, awesome. So I go home, I get ready, I put my dinner together. It was a well-thought dinner. I put in a lot of thought. And so when she showed up, we walked on the table, and I brought dinner on the table. And she looks, she looks at me, she looks at the dinner, she looks at me, she goes, is this for dinner? Now, don't you laugh at me now. Young men, you know, bachelors, whoever, whatever we call ourselves out there, you know what I'm talking about. Girlfriend shows up, your fiance shows up, all you bring is, you know, KFC or whatever. <laughs> she goes, is this for dinner? And I said, yeah. She was graceful. We ate it. <laughs> but the conversation that happened while having that dinner, it changed everything about me. Everything. You see, before I met my wife, I ate whatever, whenever. How many are like that? Put your hand up, brother. I ate whatever, whenever. I didn't care about nutrition. I didn't care about flavor. I ate. As long as I was hungry, I ate. And if you want to know a little background about Sejo, she did biochemistry in French. So, nutrition, do you really want to tell, do you, do you really want me to tell you what I made for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> do you really want to know? <laughs> White bread with honey and a cup of African tea. White bread, <laughs> uh, white bread, honey, and a cup of African tea. Well, you got to know the context. Let me explain. <laughs> you got to know the context. I said it was a well-planned meal. You need to know that some of these things are really special to us. Before you ask the question, is this for dinner? You get The white bread came 300 kilometers from where I lived. It came from Kampala, the capital. It was one of its kind. So I thought this American girl would probably want the bread that's made from the city. But it's white bread. And then the honey was natural. I had a bee farm, so we had some honey, and I said, I get some honey from my own bee farm. It's natural with eucalyptus flavor in it. And then, so it was great. 
you know, and then, and then African tea, of course, you know, spices with tea masala in it. You're like, I'll spice it up. It's, it's great. But when you consider the nutritional value in all that, what's there? The conversation that we had after that meal changed my life. I started thinking about my health. I started thinking about my future. The next day, I went to a restaurant, and I asked them, do you put greens on your food? <laughs> I need some fruits. I need... It changed my language. When you get married to somebody, it changes you. I don't know about you, but I'm speaking from my perspective. It changed the way I valued food. When we get wedded to Christ, it changes the way we behave. It changes the way we walk. Now that we are not under that ruthless taskmaster, and we are under the grace of Christ, and we have been wedded to him who resurrected, we, it changes the way we, treat, we walk, we treat others. It has to reflect his character. It has to be visible. It has to touch people's lives. It changes us. That's what Paul is saying here. So that you may belong to another. That who, uh, that to him who, was, who has been raised from the dead. Marriage affects how we live. It affects how we walk. When you marry someone, you can't just keep in your old life. But you need to learn to live a new way now that you are united with someone else. I love the, the, verse, the verse in, uh, I love the verse in, uh, in, Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24, if you're, you can read it with me, uh, put a finger on Romans and then you go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let me, uh, let me read again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. Two words you see there. Leave, hold fast. Leave, hold fast. You leave your original family. You leave and then you hold fast. You cling you desire, you, you connect with the new person that the Lord has brought in your life. When you get married, you leave your old family. They are no longer your priority. We don't hate them, but they are not our priority. We have a new person to build a new life with. How many of you marry and move in with your whole family in the same apartment? Like, hey, Kuz, hey, sis. Hey, bro, mom, what about you, dad? Come on in. I just got out. We, it's party time. One month, two months. When you don't get a chance to know your new spouse. 
you need room to grow, to build this new intimacy. It's not because we don't like you, parents. It's because we, I'm sure that's what you did. It's because we want to start a new relationship. We leave the taskmaster, the law, because we want to build a new relationship with Christ. It changes the way we live. You guys are not. Number three, belonging to Christ empowers a new way to serve. Now, when you look at, uh, again, chapter 7, verse uh, 4c, and then we, we read up to verse 6, he says, In order that you may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Our belonging to Christ is not an end in itself. It takes place in order that we might have fruitful lives. Paul explains this in two ways. One, he explains uh, verse 5 negatively, and then he explains verse 6 positively. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, the old taskmaster, were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. There's fruit of death. It leads to death. Law does not bring growth. Law is a cancer to the fruit. It sucks the energy out of the fruit. It drains you. Law is a cancer. And he says, now he explains it positively, and he says, in other words, the law did not do, uh, it, it, did, it did not nothing, now I'm talking about the previous one, uh, bearing fruit for death. Law did nothing to alleviate our sin problem. It only made it worse. It started up our spiritual passions, which resulted in, in death. Not just physical death, but also spiritual death. So um, it's, it's mental gymnastics right here. So now he goes on in verse 6 where he says, he contrasts the former and he says, we are released from the law, having died that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written God. Now we serve in the new way of the spirit. That bears fruit for eternity. Not the one that bears fruit of death. The one that bears fruit of eternity. We are no longer yoked to the law, but can now serve in the new way to the spirit. I'll finish with this. You hear me mention Uganda a lot because, uh, you know, I come from Uganda by now. I'm sure you know. Um, when I did prisons ministry there, I, it's something I did every week, every Thursday. I went to prisons, and we reached out to inmates. I met an inmate in prison. His name was Makumbi. I want you to remember that name, Makumbi. Because I, I think at some point I'll write a book for inmates. That's named the Macumbi Syndrome. So how does the Macumbi Syndrome work? This young man was a petty thief. He stole petty things on the street. 
He broke into people's shops, snatched phones, purses, and all that. So Makumbi, every time he's released from jail, two weeks later, he's back in jail. The Makumbi syndrome. I asked him, I said, young man, why do you enjoy being behind these bars? Why do you enjoy being caged in this place? He said, because out there, I am not only a danger to myself, I'm a danger to the community. I enjoy the structure of the law, and I enjoy free food, and I get to do how many push-ups I want, and I get to participate in the kitchen party. I do all these things. I said, so what's freedom to you? He says, I don't understand freedom. I don't think you need to go to Uganda to become a Makumbi. No. I think you can still become a Makumbi here in the United States. Where Jesus says, I died for you. I died for you. So you are not under the yoke of the law. So you are not a caged animal anymore. So you are not yoked to performance, to find fulfillment out of performance. You could not out of your own effort. There's no way you're going to meet the standard of God. And Jesus says, I will come down and die for you. So you can have freedom in me. And he says, here I am. All I need you is to accept that you are no longer a caged animal in there and accept me. But you know what some of us do? We play double. You're like, but I like this way, Lord. And he says, well, you can't serve us both. But I, I like it there, so you can't serve us both. I am here, come and immerse yourself in me. Because that's what brought me. That's what, that was my mission. But we revert to our old way of doing things. We become a Makumbi in the United States. I also met inmates who spent over 28 years in jail. And when they are released, they tell uh, the prison warders, we don't know anything outside anymore. Can you create space for us to live here for until we die? We don't see where we get so used and tangled with the law that we don't see our way out. It becomes your way of life. You don't see a way out. And Jesus is saying, there is a way. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the way I can so you may have freedom. And then we revert. We go back. We relapse. I want to invite us today. We have a master. We have a God. Who loves us so much. Who knew that we would never fulfill the demands of the law. And he came. And he gave us that grace. The unearned and deserved favor of God. Can we stretch our hand and hold that hand of Christ?
Can we stretch our hands and grab him and say, I want, I choose your way, Father. I choose your way. I am not a slave to the law. I choose your way. Be my master. Because in you, I learn a freer way to serve. I am not captive to performance. There is freedom when I serve Jesus. There is, you want me to say it again? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Belonging to Christ empowers a new way to serve. A new way, a spirit-filled way, a liberating way. I don't serve so I can I get recognized, so I get, you know, boxes, so I you get to check the check the boxes. So no, I there it, it brings freedom, there is peace, there is eternity at the end of it. How many of us want to belong to Christ? How many of us want to belong to Christ and say, I want to give it you all? All right. I'm going to pray for us. If you are here and you say, I want to belong to Christ, because belonging to Christ enables me to bear fruit in Christ. I want to bear fruit, and I want my fruit to reflect the character of my master, and I want my fruit to be visible, but I also want my fruit to nourish others. To touch lives because I have a new master and his name is Jesus. Father, I thank you for today. You are a faithful and a loving God. You are our master. For sin shall not have dominion over us. For we are not under the law, but under the grace. For we are not under the ruthless, unsatisfied master, but under the undeserved favor of God. That changes everything. It changes the way we love. It changes the way we pray. It changes our motivations. It changes our vision, aspiration. It changes us. And Lord, I pray. That even as we let your word sink in us and go home and read it again, I pray that we will discover that we are no longer bound, we are no longer yoked to the law, but we have had, we have formed a new relationship. We have formed a new relationship and we are in union with you. And that changes everything. Change us from inside. Renew us. Help us on this journey, in this conflict, in this battle. My God, help us to understand that we have a new master. A master that is not ruthless. A master that is graceful. A master that is loving. A master that liberates us. We love you. We honor your name. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. 
Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.